namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om Ajnana Timarandasya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshurul Militam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Sri Chaitanya Manovistam Sapitam Janabutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadatit Swapadantikam When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet. Vancha kalpa terubhyascha kripasthanubhyevacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktavrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today is Tuesday, May 25th. 2021, the appearance day of Lord Nishingadev, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 5, The Creative Impetus, Chapter 18, The Prayers Offered to the Lord by the Residents of Jambudvipa, Text 8. Om Namo Bhagavate Narasimhaya. Namas Tejas Tejasa Avir Avir Bhava. Vajra Naka Vajra Dhamstra Parmasayan Randhaya Randhaya Samo Grasa Grasa Om Swaha Abhayam Abhayam Atmani Bhuyistra Om Sham. Somebody else want to chant that? Om Namo Bhagavate Narasimhaya. Namaste Jaste Jase Avirabhava. Vajranaka Vajradamstra Parmasayan Randaya Randayatamu Grasa Grasa Onswaha Abhayam Abhayam Atmani Bhuyista Om Shram Om, O Lord, 
Namaha. My respectful obeisances. Bhagavate. Unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Narasimhaya. Known as Lord Nishimha. Namaha. Obeisances. Teja Tejasa. The power of all power. Avi Avirbhava. Please be fully manifest. Vajra Naka. O you who possess nails like thunderbolts. Vajra Dhamstra. O you who possess teeth like thunderbolts. Parma Ashayan. Demoniac desires to be happy by material activities. Randaya Randaya. Kindly vanquish. Dhamma. Ignorance in the material world. Rasa. Kindly drive away. Rasa. Kindly drive away. Om, O my Lord. Swaha, respectful oblations. Abhayam, fearlessness. Abhayam, fearlessness. Atmani, in my mind. Uyista, may you appear. Om, O Lord, Shram, the, the bija, or seed, of mantras offering prayers to Lord Nishima. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Lord Nishimhadev, the source of all power. O my Lord, who possess nails and teeth, just like thunderbolts, kindly vanquish our demon-like desires for fruitive activity in this material world. Please appear in our hearts and drive away our ignorance so that your mercy, that by your mercy we may become fearless in the struggle for existence in this material world. Purport. In Srimad Bhagavatam 4.22.39, Sanat Kumar speaks the following words to Maharaj Prithu. Devotees always engaged in the service of the toes of the Lord's lotus feet can very easily become free from hard-knotted desires for fruit of activities. Because this is very difficult, the non-devotees, the jnanis and yogis, cannot stop the waves of sense gratification, although they try to do so. Therefore, you are advised to engage in the devotional service of Krishna, the son of Vasudev. Every living being within this material world has a strong desire to enjoy matter to their fullest satisfaction. For this purpose, the conditioned soul must accept one body after another, and thus their strongly fixed fruit of desires continue. One cannot stop the repetition of birth and death without being completely desireless. Therefore, Srila Rupa Goswami describes pure bhakti devotional service as follows. One should render transcendental loving service to the Supreme Lord Krishna favorably and without desire for material profit or gain through fruitive activities or philosophical speculation. 
That is called pure devotional service. Unless one is completely freed of all material desires which are caused by the dense darkness of ignorance, one cannot fully engage in the devotional service of the Lord. Therefore, we should always offer our prayers to Lord Nishingadev, who killed Hiranyakashipu, the personification of material desire. Hiranya means gold, and Kashipu, Kashipu means a soft cushion or bed. Materialistic persons always desire to make the body comfortable, and for this they require huge amounts of gold. Thus, Hiranyakashipu was the perfect representative of materialistic life. He was therefore the cause of great disturbance to the topmost devotee, Prahlad Maharaj. Until Lord Nishingadev killed him, any devotee aspiring to be free of material desires should offer his respectful prayers to Nishingadev as Prahlad Maharaj did in this verse. So um, today, we're, as I said, it's Lord Nishingadev's appearance day, and I will very quickly review the story of his appearance and then discuss more in on how, you know, the lessons that we can take away from this story. In Canto 1 so far, we've been discussing death, and the last few verses I've read were about Arjuna's very much in fear of the Brahmastra coming, you know, it's been let off by the son of Drona. And um, he turns to Krishna because he's full of fear, and he wants Krishna to, you know, dispel his fear. And that's basically one of the big lessons of the story of Lord Nishingadev. The story describes how we can depend on Krishna in times of grave danger. So quick recap. Right? So Hiranyakashipu was this great and powerful demon. He um, especially hated Vishnu or God because, one, the gods and the um, demons were at war and fighting all the time. Two, um, Vishnu in the form of um, Varaha, yes, there it is. Lord Varaha killed his brother Hiranyaksha. So Hiranyakashipu vowed to get revenge, right? Like, and then considered God, Vishnu, to be his number one enemy. So, in order to get this revenge, he did some, you know, severe austerities for 100. 25 years, and at the end of it, he gained this boon, and he wanted immortality. Well, Lord Brahma said, I don't even have immortality, so I can't give you immortality. So Hiranyakashipu thought he would be clever, and he asked for that he couldn't be killed under the following circumstances. He couldn't be killed inside or outside, during the day or at night, not in the ground or in the sky, not by an animal or a man, or any being created by Lord Brahma, not by any resident of any of the planetary systems, not by any weapon, not from any entity living or dead, nor any inhabitants of lower planets, no rival or competitor, no one that has lordship over living entities and demigods. And he wanted all the glories as Lord, so he wanted mystic powers as well. So he was granted this boon, and in the meantime, while he was off doing the austerities, his wife was kidnapped by Lord Indra because uh, his wife was pregnant. And the idea was that, well, this, if Hiranyakashipu is such a big demon, then his son is going to be even greater. So they had this idea that they would kill the baby in the womb. Well, 
Narada Muni saw, you know, he could see that this baby in the womb was going to be a great devotee. He was blessed to be born in a whole family of demons to bring glory to the whole family. So he actually stopped all the demigods from killing him, and um, he would then speak the Srimad Bhagavatam to the baby in the womb. So for 125 years, this baby in the womb was listening to the Srimad Bhagavatam. So when he was born, Prahlad Maharaj was born very knowledgeable. He had all this knowledge about um, the Srimad Bhagavatam of Krishna, of who Krishna was, of his glories, of how a devotee behaves. And so he started following that. And instead of learning things like, you know, that he should, that one would expect a king would want to learn, like economic development, liberation, material wealth, he was busy teaching all of his classmates the glories of Krishna. And every time Lord Hiranyakashipu would find this out, he would get very angry. Like, how could this, my own son, glorify my number one enemy? And so that he tried, you know, very many ways to, by force, by violence, to try to get Prahlad Maharaj to not worship Krishna. Then he got really frustrated, and they tried to kill him in numerous ways. They tried to chop him up. They tried throwing him beneath the feet of big elephants. And at this time, when they tried to chop him up, they couldn't pierce his skin. When they, when the, they tried to have the big elephants run him over, the elephants just walked over him, taking care not to step on him. They threw him among huge, fearful snakes, tried spells, tried hurling him from the top of a hill. They tried tricks, poison, starving him, exposing him to severe cold winds, fire, and water. They even tried throwing heavy stones to crush them. Every single time, Prahlad Maharaj would just go into a meditative state and pray for Lord Vishnu to keep him safe and protect him. He had no doubt that Krishna would do this. So he had no fear at any of these attempts at his life, even though he was a young boy, less than five, six years old. Finally, after Prahlad Maharaj kept glorifying and worshiping God, Harina Kashipu said, You've always described a supreme being other than me, a supreme being who is above everything, who is the controller of everyone and who is all-pervading. But where is he? If he is everywhere, then why is he not present before me in this pillar? Because you are speaking so much nonsense, I shall now sever your head from your body. Now let me see your most worshipable God come to protect you. I want to see it. And with that, Hiranyakashipu took up his sword, got up from his royal throne, and with great anger struck his fist against the column. So you can imagine how like attached to control and power and wealth Hiranyakashipu was to speak such words to his precious son, right, six years old. I'm going to sever your head. Like if, you know, a father said that to his son now, they would be in jail. Or, you know, at least Child Protective Services would hopefully come and protect the kid. And Prahlad Maharaj had no fear. He didn't even flinch at these words. They didn't affect him because he knew that Krishna would protect him at every step. In Srimad Bhagavatam 7.8.17, it says, To prove that the statement of his servant, Prahlad Maharaj, was substantial. In other words, to prove that the Supreme Lord is present everywhere, even within the pillar of an assembly hall. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, Hari, exhibited a wonderful form never seen 
never before seen. The form was neither that of a man nor that of a lion. Thus the Lord appeared in his wonderful form in the assembly hall. So as soon as he hits the pillar, Lord Nishingadev comes out of the pillar. And this pillar is located in such a place that they're not really inside and they're not really outside. So he's like in the doorway. And we know that Krishna, Vishnu God, he's able to, you know, he comes over and over again in, in Srimad Bhagavad, or Bhagavad Gita 4, 8. It says, I come to annihilate the pious and to annihilate, to deliver the pious and to annihilate the miscreants, as well as to reestablish the principles of religion. He appears. So, in this particular case, he came for both, right? He came to deliver to deliver Prahlad Maharaj and to annihilate Hiranyakashipu. And because Hiranyakashipu received this boon from Lord Brahma that he would not die in the land or in the sky, Nishingadev placed Hiranyakashipu's body on his lap, which was neither, right? It's not on the ground, it's not in the sky. Hiranyakashipu received the benediction that he would not die either during day or at night. So the Lord killed him in the evening at dusk, which is that time that's in between daytime and nighttime. But it's neither day nor night. Hiranyakashipu had taken the benediction from Lord Brahma that he would not die from any weapon or be killed by any person dead or alive. And therefore, just to keep the word of Lord Brahma, <clears throat> Lord Nishingade pierced Hiranyakashipu's body with his nails which were not weapons, which were neither living nor dead. Um, <clears throat> because the nails can be called dead, but at the same time, they're said to be alive. So they're both and neither. So to keep all of Lord Brahma's benedictions intact, Lord Nishingade paradoxically, but very easily, killed the great demon, demon Hiranyakashipu. So with this form of Lord Nishingadev, he is able to accomplish many things. It was it's such a unique form because he's able to bypass, you know. Um, Hiranyakashipu thought he'd found a loophole in death and found immortality. And Lord Nishingade was able to find the loophole within his loophole, right? And the, the biggest sin of Hiranyakashipu really is envy. And, you know, when we talk about sin, envy is considered when it's like the original sin, right? It's what happened when we were all in the spiritual world and we decided, well, I want what Krishna has. I want to be in control. So we had that spark of envy and Krishna creates this whole material world for us. So that envy is very, um, it's, a, it's a very hard thing to understand, but it's also what kind of keeps us attached. Right, whether it's envy for what we want or envy for what someone else has. And the, the attachments really are for the six opulences. Wealth, right, richness, strength. When we see someone that has more money than we do, we're like, well, why, why do they have it? Why don't I have it? Um, strength, fame or influence, beauty, wisdom, renunciation. These are all opulences. And when we see other people that have one of the opulence or two or three of the opulences that we want, then we get envious. And Krishna, our God, has all of them. And so on some level, we still have this level of envy towards Krishna that, you know, we want what he, want, he has. We want that level of control or power. 
that he has. And so that's really what, you know, even Prabhupada was saying in the, in the purport um, of the verse that we just read. Hiranya Kashipu is the perfect represent- representative of materialistic life. So on some level, on some minute level, we are all, we're all Hiranya Kashipus, right? We're attached to our power, our wealth, comfort, um, gold, you know, that gives us more comfort. In Bhagavad Gita 262-63, it says, while contemplating the objects of the senses, person develops attachment for them. And from such attachment, lust develops. And from lust, anger arises. From anger, delusion arises. And from delusion, bewilderment of memory. When memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost. And when intelligence is lost, one falls down again into the material pool. Hiranyakashipu's qualities were that he was envy, greed, anger. He was attached to his senses. He was attached to material pleasures. And if he surrendered to Krishna, it would get in the way of all of that. So therefore, Krishna was his enemy. And on some level, that's exactly how we feel, right? If we surrender to Krishna, it will get in the way of our enjoyment. We'll have to give up our attachments. And so even though we may not have this conscious um, consideration of Krishna as our enemy, it's there. It's, in the, it's subconscious, it's subtle, and it kind of, you know, determines our behaviors and our actions. So we can see that we have qualities of Hiranyakashipu, but we can also learn from Prahlad Maharaj's qualities. He depended on Krishna no matter what, you know, no matter what was happening, whether it was good or bad, he was significantly dependent on Krishna. He had unflinching faith in Krishna. He had trust that Krishna would protect him no matter what. So we have to be the same way. We have to trust that Krishna is going to protect us no matter what. Prahlad Maharaj saw everyone as friends. He had no enemies. He didn't consider anyone enemies. So if we realize that Krishna is in everyone, and everyone is a devotee of Krishna, whether they know it or not, then there is no question of anyone being our enemy, because we're all devotees of Krishna. His only prayer was to serve the Lord for the Lord's pleasure and not to fulfill his own material desires. In Srimad Bhagavatam 7.10.29, it says, If one meditates upon your transcendental body, you naturally protect them from all sources of fear, even the imminent danger of death. So, you know, in this case, when all these things were happening, it would be perfectly natural for Prahlad Maharaj to fear for his life and fear death would be coming. But he had no such fear because he completely depended on on Vishnu or Krishna or Nishingadev, to protect him. He had no doubt, not even a tinge of doubt, right? There's a story um, that we know, like Joan of Arc, right? And she had this unflinching faith in God that God would protect her at every moment until the very last. They They kept trying to test her this way and that way, and she would never let go of her faith. Then finally, they got her to admit or to say that, yeah, maybe God doesn't exist. And she had that one hint of doubt, and that was her downfall. But if she had held strong the whole entire time, because she was, like, very powerful, she was leading armies, 
because of her full faith in God. And so we can see that even the slightest seed of doubt can be detrimental to our devotional service and our love for Krishna. At the same time, even the slightest seed of faith can sprout and take over. So it's which one are we watering? Are we watering our seeds of doubt or are we watering our seeds of faith? And the more we water our seeds of faith, the stronger our faith grows. So that's what we want to do. We have to also be careful because we may not be intentionally watering our seeds of doubt, but they can get watered by depending on who we associate with. And the purport of Srimad Bhagavatam 5.18.9, Prabhupada says, The material world is full of envious persons, but if one frees themselves of envy, they become liberal in their social dealings and can think of others' welfare. Anyone who takes up Krishna consciousness and engages themselves completely in the service of the Lord cleanses their mind of all envy. We should there, we should, therefore we should pray to Lord Nishimadev to sit in our hearts. We should pray, Bahir Nishimha. Let Lord Nishimadev sit in the core of my heart, killing all my bad propensities. Let my mind become clean so that I may peacefully worship the Lord and bring peace to the entire world. So we can see that the entire world is filled with materialistic persons that have this, you know, and they'll even argue with you or they'll try to plant these seeds of, or water these seeds of doubt that you already have. Like, well, just enjoy. You only have one life and, you know, you, nothing's going to happen. Or your God can't be that, you know, um, what do they say, like jealous or vindictive. And we have to understand that it's not that God or Krishna is jealous or vindictive. It's that how do we feel about God? Are we making some justification so that we can enjoy the opulences? Are we feeding our envy? You know, that I want to enjoy. I want to have fun here. And, you know, doing things that are going to take us away from Krishna. So it's not that Krishna is like, okay, you do this and I'm going to punish you. It's that each action has a consequence, and we have to be aware of what those consequences are. And we also have to be aware that it's not even about the consequences. It's about whether or not this will help us understand and deepen our relationship with God, Krishna. And that's what we really want. Because ultimately, that is the true welfare for humanity. Because as everyone is materialistic and having envy, and everyone wants power, wealth, fame, fortune, you know, beauty, and they're all fighting each other for it. But if we understand that these things are temporary and they're not going to bring us long-lasting pleasure, happiness, then we can understand that, you know, there's no need to fight someone for it and everyone is our friend. The Prabhupada goes on to say, if Krishna consciousness movement spreads all over the world and if by the grace of Krishna everyone accepts it, and the, the thinking of envious people will change. Everyone will think of the welfare of others. In material activities, everyone is envious of others, but in Krishna consciousness, no one is envious of anyone else. Everyone thinks of the welfare, welfare of others. Therefore, Prahlad Maharaj prays that everyone's mind may become gentle by being fixed at the lotus feet of Krishna. So Prabhupada says that, you know, if we endeavor to have this Krishna consciousness movement spread, and we are teaching these principles of 
non-envy of there are no enemies. We're all friends. We're all working together. You know, to not go for more than we need to maintain our bodies. Um, you know, sometimes for someone that may be a little bit more level of comfort, but for someone else it may be something else. And that's another thing that we tend to do a lot of is compare, right? Well, so-and-so lives in this big house and they have all these comforts, but I only have this small space and, you know, this hard bed that's not comfortable at all. But we also have to see the circumstances, right? Somebody in a bigger house may have a bigger family or they may have some other health effects or health conditions that, you know, for them to do their service, it would be much harder if they had to sleep on a hard bed. So Krishna provides, you know, he can provide us with everything, but what will we do with it? So if, you know, he provides somebody with a mansion and all they do is just, oh, look at my mansion, I'm such a great, rich person, and they show it off, um, then they may not be blessed with that anymore because they're not using it in the service of Krishna. Whereas someone who gets a mansion and says, okay, I'm going to have programs, I'm going to have people over, use as part of the big house to have like a temple, place of worship. If they have a lot of money, they're using that towards the welfare of spreading Krishna consciousness, of feeding prasadam to the people then it's a different story. Then They're not really thinking of anything as their own. They're thinking of it as Krishna and just using it to pay back. Prabhupada concludes that um, purport by saying, materialists always think of sense gratification, but Prahlad Maharaj prays that the Lord's mercy will change their minds and they will stop thinking of sense gratification. If they think of Krishna always, everything will be all right. So that's where we want to be. We want to think of Krishna all the time and slowly let go of our attachments from material things. It doesn't mean that we can't have material things. It's that we see these material objects and whatever it is to be enjoyed by Krishna for Krishna's service and not for us. And it's really anything that makes our service for Krishna easy or easier, then we'll get it, right? So we want to make sure that that's our prayer. In Srimad Bhagavatam 7.5.23, Prahlad Maharaj says, Hearing and chanting about the transcendental holy name, form, qualities, paraphernalia, and pastimes of Lord Vishnu, remembering them, serving the lotus feet of the Lord, offering the Lord respectful worship with 16 types of paraphernalia, offering prayers to the Lord, becoming his servant, considering the Lord one's best friend, and surrendering everything unto him, in other words, serving him with the body, mind, and words, these nine processes are accepted as pure devotional service. One who has dedicated their life to the service of Krishna through these nine methods should be understood to be the most learned person, for they have acquired complete knowledge. So this verse by Prahlad Maharaj describes the nine processes of devotional service. How do we come to that point of always thinking of Krishna to depend on him, to obtain the qualities of Prahlad Maharaj that we discussed earlier? And it's through these nine processes, right, of which, you know, the chanting and um, hearing of the holy names are extremely important. That's why we do it all the time, right? We have um, kirtan that we sing together um, in congregational chanting and chant and response. We have japa, which is silent 
or to ourselves mantra meditation of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. So that gives us the uh, opportunity to hear and chant. The um, other main important way that we tend to honor and glorify and remember Krishna is prashadam. And for many of us, that's the most fun and important way, right? Because we have to eat. Like, all of us have to eat. So if what we eat has been offered to Krishna, and when we prepare these, this food, we think of Krishna. How will Krishna enjoy this meal? You know, is it going to be pleasing to him? Um, we can still, and we can make it healthy and tasty, and then offer it to him, and then we get to eat it. So we get this sanctified, glorified food that we have, we can eat, and when we eat it, we can think of Krishna. So often, and I know I'm guilty of doing this, I um, like rush through my meals, right? Even if they're prashadam, I rush through them, or I watch TV while eating them, or I'm on my phone while eating them. And really, it's about, you know, they call it now mindful eating. But the truth is, is that what we're eating is prashadam, it's Krishna. So it's another way that we get to associate with Krishna. So if, when we're eating prashadam, if we're taking that time of concentrating on what we're eating and, and relishing Krishna, it's, it even further deepens our relationship with Krishna, which is our goal, right? To have really a strong, deep, loving relationship with Krishna. And so I'll conclude with today's verse is an excellent prayer to keep in mind today and all the days. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Lord Nishimhadev, the source of all power. O my Lord, who possess nails and teeth just like thunderbolts, kindly vanquish our demon-like desires for fruitive activity in this material world. Please appear in our hearts and drive away our ignorance so that by your mercy we may become fearless in the struggle for existence in this material world. What questions do you have? What were you saying about, you said that living entities that are in the material world are always envious of one another. Um, I notice when I'm working with non-devotees that it seems like they're always concerned about the other persons, whether they're working or not. You know, like they'll say, here we are um, you know, moving this moving these things, how come that guy over there is not helping? I've been watching this guy all day, he's just on his phone, or he's not working. Or that was supposed to be done by Joe, and then Joe didn't get it done. So now I'm inconvenienced. So in this way, the, the atmosphere seems to be like surcharged with envy of people always uh, being envious of one another. So when you said that that's a condition in the material world. What would the... It looked like in the spiritual world. What, what what would life be like without being envious of one another? So, in some ways, um, well, I think whether people are devotees or non-devotees, we see that type of behavior where people are concerned about what other people are doing, that envious behavior, like you're saying. That person over there is not working or seemingly doesn't work and you know, I'm having to do all this extra work. Um, that kind of mentality is pervasive all throughout the material world, whether we're devotees or non-devotees. And I think the opposite of that is love. Right? Like, if we're not so worried about what other people are doing, 
and we're only concerned with um, helping other people, right? Serving other people, and pleasing Krishna is our biggest concern. Then it's not so much about what that person's doing. It's all about like let's please Krishna and please each other, right? So if I'm worried about pleasing you, I'm not going to be so concerned about, oh, well, are you working? You know, are you doing your part? Because my only concern is pleasing you. We call that like the unconditional love um, or even actions. Sometimes, you know, you see people, friendships can even break up over one person feeling like, I do more for you than you do for me. Um, as if a relationship is transactional, right? We're, we're keeping note, like, I did this one thing for you, you didn't do anything for me, we'll keep a ledger on these activities. But love and relationships aren't like that. It's completely unconditional. And so when we're acting in an unconditional way, we're just acting for the pleasure of someone else and not for what we can gain from it um, or how much it'll give us comfort. It's more that we're doing it for the other person's pleasure. And Krishna usually and then the devotees does that answer your question? Hi, Krishna. I thought, actually, just one second. I'm going to ask a question kind of relevant to the, the students. Just, uh, I was thinking we, we hear um, that we should pray to Nishringadev to remove obstacles, right? Um, and generally, it's, we think, maybe for our devotional service. So I was just thinking, like, the, the kids, a lot of the students have a, a big test today, the standardized test. So, like, if they pray to Lord Nishringadev to, you know, help them with that test and, you know, remove the obstacles to remembering things, is that is that a good thing, a bad thing? Is that material, spiritual? Um, so, I think it would come to, you know, why are we wanting to do well on this test? What will that help us gain? So, if we're praying, you know, for Lord Nishringadev to remove the obstacles, and sometimes those obstacles are our own minds. Like, we have, we've studied, we know the material, but then we get this doubt, like, will I do well? Am I, you know, do I actually know this, this material? I'm not good enough. Um, so we have these kinds of fears and doubts that enter our mind. And Lord Nishingadev can annihilate any of these fears and doubts, right? So um, I'm sure that for this test that you guys have coming up, that you've all prepared and studied, and the only reason, you know, you may or may not do well is, you fear that you may not do well. So if we work on, you know, having the Shingadev take away those kinds of fears and remove that kind of obstacle, then there's nothing to prevent you from doing really well on the exam. Consider if you actually studied. Like I can't I don't know how what people's study techniques are, but a lot of times, you know, that's I know for me personally, you know, I've taken a lot of tests in my lifetime. And I know the ones that I go in very confident, I do really well. And the ones that I, even though I've studied it, and I just feel like, okay, maybe I don't know it, I don't do so well because it's my own doubt and my own abilities that keep me from doing well. So I hope that helps. Nice. Very nice answer. <laughs> Any other questions? All right, Sarantra Shimad Bhagavatam ki. Yeah.